Let's pray real quick, and we will get started. Father, thanks for um, just our time together. Thanks for Fort Worth Prez and for all these women who have devoted time to study your word. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I marvel over the process of how a person becomes a Christian. It is so mind-blowing how God and all his creativity and providence can take an individual dead in her sins and open her eyes to the truth of the gospel. Years ago, I asked a Chinese friend of mine how she came to know the Lord. And she said she was told her whole life by her parents and teachers that there is no God. And then she smiled and said, but for some reason, I didn't ever believe it. So one of my favorite conversion stories is the one of C.S. Lewis, mainly because of his artistic skill of conveying his experience. He considered himself an atheist and had already been doing a great deal of studying and writing and teaching in Oxford. He and his friend J.R.R. Tolkien would meet often in the pub to discuss life and writing and such. The Lord ordained every detail in Lewis's life, just as he does in all of us, in order to make us ready to receive the truth. Lewis explains it like this. You must picture me alone in my room, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? Then there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back. Supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. Worse still, supposing he had found us. So what does our being saved by grace have to do with the wisdom of Proverbs? Everything. I have three main points today. Three questions to consider. Number one, the origin of wisdom. Where did wisdom come from? Number two, how does one get it? And number three, how can we get more of it? So let's pray one more time. Father, please increase our awe of you. Your wisdom is so deep and so incredible. We pray for more of it. Your word says we should ask for it and you would give us generously your wisdom. Lord, make, us, uh, make yourself known to us in a whole new way. Please change us. We want more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are studying Proverbs together. The whole book is about wisdom. Let's face it, the whole Bible is about wisdom. <clears throat> My goal is to remind us of the wonder of how the Father, in all of his wisdom, called each one of us to himself and to encourage us to pursue a deeper wisdom, a gift that one can't even imagine. So we begin in the very beginning with Almighty God, who always was, who created the world with wisdom by his side. So where did wisdom come from? In Proverbs 8, wisdom speaks. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep its command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly by his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Wisdom has been God's right-hand helper since the beginning of time. Wisdom was the master at workman during creation. Wisdom was filled with delight in the Father's presence. 
Wisdom rejoiced in God's whole world. Wisdom delights in mankind. I don't know, y'all, I'm not an expert, but to me, this sounds a lot like Jesus. John says, the word was with God from the beginning. Colossians says, all things were created through him and for him. When Jesus was baptized, God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Don't these passages of God's son sound like Proverbs 8? In the New Testament, Paul has identified wisdom, and it's a person. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God. Edward Donnelly puts it this way, all that wisdom is wrapped up in a person. Wisdom in Proverbs 8 is a personification that points to something greater. It makes us think of Jesus. Matthew Henry agrees, Wisdom rejoiced, for her delights were with the sons of men, not only in the creation of man, but in the redemption and salvation of man. The Son of God was ordained before the world to that great work of salvation. A remnant of the sons of man were given him to be brought through his grace to his glory, and those were, and these were those in whom his delights were. We are a part of that. We're a part of his great salvation. The creator delights in the sons of man. That's us. Believers are rejoiced over. We're delighted in. That is a plan of salvation meant for us from the beginning. And 1 Peter 1.12 says, even the angels look into these things. They long to look into these things. So our number one question, where did wisdom come from? True wisdom does not come from the world or from even the smartest, most influential people. True wisdom could only come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, delighting in the world and in mankind. Jesus is the only true wisdom. Point number two, how does one get wisdom? The only way to acquire true eternal wisdom is to know God. There is an earthly type of wisdom, but it is foolishness compared to the heavenly wisdom. Here is a New Testament passage that tells us more. Paul calls it the secret wisdom of old, which gives me chills and even says it's for our glory. Our glory. The prophets told people about it, but it was still really a mystery until Jesus came. Now, this wisdom is revealed in the person of Christ. God has pulled back the curtain. Believers on this side of the cross get to see and experience God's wisdom by knowing Jesus, and we cannot even comprehend what a great gift that is. So 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 3, 1 is on the handout. Um, Please follow along if you can. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit teaches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. For he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There is a mysterious transformation when God saves a person. This passage in 1 Corinthians says God decreed a secret wisdom before the ages for our glory. If we can't even ima- and we can't even imagine all the goodness that the Lord is going to show us about himself as we grow closer to him. He gives us his best gift, the Holy Spirit, so we can understand all the things that were freely given to us. This is why people who do not um, possess the spirit of God um, cannot discern spiritual things. <clears throat> people who do not have Christ do not have the secret wisdom. Proverbs gives a clear distinction between those who walk with the Lord in wisdom and those who reject God's ways. I love my ESV study Bible footnote. It says, God's spirit bridges the chasm between the deep things of God and the human heart, graciously enabling human beings to understand the message of the cross, which would otherwise be incomprehensible. God's spirit knows the deepest things of God. Think of this. God the Father, the creator and sustainer of the world, gives us that same spirit to walk alongside us every day. He helps us understand gifts that were freely given to us. The passage says no mind can comprehend what God has prepared for us who love him. How do we learn about God's love? Through the wisdom of God's own spirit. And how do we understand the Proverbs? By first having the mind of Christ. We have a gift of interpreting spiritual truth. Unbelievers don't have this gift. Ladies, this is wisdom. So back to number two. How do we get wisdom? One must make sure she does not reject God's great gift of salvation. We get wisdom by belonging to God himself, and it all begins with the fear of the Lord. When I was four years old, I prayed that God would keep me from going to the devil. That's it. And I know that my eyes were open that day to the truth of the gospel, even though it was a small understanding. It wasn't about me being brilliant or doing something right. I was only four. It was God in his grace. It was the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge. It starts with fearing the one who can put an unbeliever's soul into hell. It is more than just a reverence. It's learning how big God is and how tiny we are. This holy fear grows into loving what God loves and hating what God hates. The fear of the Lord, the faith, and love of the Lord all go hand in hand. We who belong to Christ are shielded from his eternal wrath. I remember being new in Christ when all I really knew was that a good God saved me from hell. And this is big, but we know that it's only the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So last week, Sarah spoke a little bit about the fear of the Lord, and Kay touched on it two weeks ago, and Candace spoke on it as well. We could probably have our whole fall study over the fear of the Lord and never scratch the surface. It is fascinating. But I want to expound on it just a little bit more because I found this really amazing article by John Piper where he gives a great illustration. It's like a six-year-old boy encountering a huge dog. The boy stands face to face with the dog. Then the boy turns around in total fear and starts running. The dog gallops behind the boy, growling. 
The owner of the dog yells at the boy, Son, it's best not to run. My dog doesn't like it when people run away from him. What an interesting image of the fear of the Lord. The boy could just walk beside the dog, put his arm around the dog's neck even, and everything would probably be okay. Piper explains, God is horrifically dangerous to run away from. And we should be terrified to run away from God. But if we stay with him, his growl is a growl of protection, not of our destruction. What a good picture of God, the fear of the Lord. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's wrath outside of Christ. Let me get a drink real quick. (laughs) So back to 1 Corinthians. These people had a fear of the Lord. They trusted in Christ. They were true believers, saved by the grace of God. They possessed God's spirit, and but Paul calls them immature. Apparently in chapter 1, they were getting off track by quarreling with each other over who baptized whom. Things that did not matter. And their immaturity made them lose focus on important issues. Paul was like, who cares who baptized you? Let's focus on the gospel. Paul compares their spiritual immaturity to an infant drinking milk. Paul continues speaking to them in chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready because you are still of the flesh. We know where wisdom comes from, and we understand we must believe in Jesus and possess God's spirit to even taste wisdom. If one has these promises, why would someone choose to remain an infant? Meaning, Why would we get a little taste of God and stop there? To use Paul's analogy, what would the benefits be of just remaining a baby? There would be some. So let's think literally here. Say I'm a tiny baby. I'm helpless. I cry every time to get what I want. Someone comes running, a person who loves me with all her heart and soul, and gives me warm, creamy milk, exactly what I crave, with cuddles and singing and love and rocking, I'm able to burp as loud as I want, and I even get praise for it. I have no responsibilities. I am fully cared for with no worries. I can even lie there and happily go to the bathroom in my pants with a smile on my face. And this wonderful parental unit will come and change me and lotion me up, dress me in soft terry cloth. I do not care for anyone else, only for myself. What a deal. Have you ever witnessed a baby fall fast asleep while drinking milk? His eyes roll back in his head. His sucking slowly comes to a stop. The suction breaks and milk just slowly dribbles down his neck and into the fat crease of his neck. And then into a deep sleep he goes. When my sister and I were nursing babies, we had a name for this. We called it milk drunk. There is nothing cuter than a milk drunk baby. But Paul implies there is nothing more frustrating than a milk-drunk adult. Spiritual milk is so important to the new believer, just as milk is important for a newborn. But just as the baby grows and craves food and learns independence to become an adult, young believers in Christ must move from milk to solid food. I think this is what it means when Solomon commands, get wisdom, get insight. We must act meaning move from basic knowledge 
into pursuing the depths of Christ's wisdom. Paul says he wanted to give the Corinthians solid food, but he fed them with milk because they were not ready. Part of the reason they were not ready was because they were focusing all their energy on disagreements and discord. They were too immature to focus on what really mattered, which was loving God and loving one another. It kind of sounds familiar to our world today. There are so many hot topics with which we disagree. Walking in wisdom to love one another, it takes effort. It takes self-control. When we stop pursuing wisdom, we drift back to immaturity. We want to guard against being lazy, spiritual milk addicts. God our Father has secret wisdom for us that has no limit to its richness in God's kingdom. Can you imagine what the Lord has prepared for us? Milk is yummy, but what if we were never to taste steak or salmon or a juicy garden tomato or a big fat cinnamon roll? Only milk? How tragic. We must set aside the baby bottle and let's work to search for maturity and for wisdom. There is so much to be gained, but how? That brings us to our third question. How can we get more wisdom? Proverbs 2.4 says, If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what are the ways we search for wisdom? We press in and get to know the very person who embodies this wisdom, Jesus. I commend all of you for being in Bible study or on Zoom, for making the investment by studying God's word, and for wanting to live life with other believers. Proverbs said, if we walk with the wise, we grow wise. We need each other. We were not meant to figure it out alone. The world will know that we are Jesus' disciples if we love one another. We want to look differently from the world. We must approach everything with wisdom. Proverbs is God's living word. The God of the universe who loves us with an everlasting love speaks directly to us through his word. He convicts us of sin and reminds us of his character. The best part is that we get to study Proverbs, the wisdom of God, through the lens of knowing Christ. Without Jesus, these sayings of Solomon would be empty advice. But we are empowered to feast on these beautiful Proverbs and be nourished with them and changed by them because Christ lives in us. Our Father delights in us and wants to spend time with us. Prayer is a huge way to gain wisdom. Christians are called to pray. It doesn't have to be fancy, just a conversation with someone who loves us. How can we get intimate with someone we rarely talk to? If we want more wisdom, we must become close with the one who generously gives it. And the great thing is, he longs to be intimate with us and give wisdom. We will find great joy in a deeper prayer life. We must get better at sitting still before the Lord and pouring out our hearts to him. And it's often a sacrifice. Getting up earlier than our household for a few minutes of quiet, silencing our phones, maybe even taking scripture literally and telling our little ones, Mommy's going to be in the prayer closet for five minutes. What wonderful habits to teach a kid. If you're like me, you may have had trouble getting motivated to pray during the pandemic or in general. But we have to remember that Satan hates it when we engage in prayer. Even the tiniest prayer in our car or in the shower, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We must keep searching for wisdom in the person of Christ. So how do we get more wisdom besides God's word, God's people, and prayer? Through trials. I would be willing to bet everyone would call 2020 a significant trial. 
when we come out on the other side of any trial, we usually see God, the world, and ourselves differently. God means trials for our good. And trials aren't an accident. He means them for our good and maturing us and growing us. We are to endure hardship as discipline. We can gain deep wisdom as we see problems in our lives as opportunities to apply God's word. Maturity for a believer is about sanctification, trials that bring us to maturity and give us more wisdom. When we only look to our own interests during trials and forget about the interest of others, we revert back to milk, not solid food. And I'm speaking from experience. If you look really closely at my mouth, you might see a little crusty milk mustache. So this is something we all struggle with, but we need to do better. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature. For those who have had their discernment trained by constant practice to determine good from evil. Constant practice. I don't really like the sound of that. Table Talk magazine describes it this way. Daily, consistently, progressively, we must exercise discernment so that the effects of the fall are overcome and our ability to distinguish between good and evil becomes better and better. Growing wise can be painful. We study Proverbs so we can see God's heart in everyday happenings. Fighting sin requires constant practice. We were given the free gift of salvation, and yet wisdom requires action. Proverbs tells us to go get wisdom. Proverbs 4.13 says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Not letting go of instruction requires work on our part. Not work to gain God's favor. Don't misunderstand me here. We already have God's favor as children of God. But work for more wisdom in loving God and loving people. As Darwin said two weeks ago in his sermon, we must together work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is constant. And maturity will come from this and wisdom will come from this. So let's review our three points. Where does wisdom come from? And our Sunday school answer, God and Jesus. (laughs) And number two, where do we get wisdom? Jesus. He became for us wisdom from God. And thirdly, how do we get more wisdom? We ask him to give us the desire to pray, study, fight the good fight, and to love him and love others more. So back to C.S. Lewis. In his autobiography, he wrote, It happened on a bright, sunny morning in 1931. He and his brother were to visit the zoo together. C.S. Lewis was in the sidecar of his brother's motorbike. He recalled, When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep... Still lying motionless in bed becomes aware that he is now awake. The Lord turned an atheist from darkness to light. And this man, C.S. Lewis, grew in grace and wisdom of Jesus. And the Lord used him mightily and is using his writings for deeper understanding of the gospel for who knows how many people over how many generations. I challenge us today to remember the time when God called you. It may be a time, a memory of an exact moment, or he may have given you understanding of him over a period of time. Whatever the situation, the God of wisdom pursued you. He chose you. 
He rescued you out of the grave and adopted you to himself forever. He promises to finish what he started. If you have not yet met this God and are curious to know more, he loves you and wants to bless you with gifts that you could never imagine. Trusting Christ is the beginning of a deep search for wisdom from of old, permeating into every area of our lives. It is a gift. It is a call. It is ours for the taking because we belong to Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.